dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, we present yet another episode from our listener library, featuring suggestions from you, our mysterious listeners. Christian writes... Hello, creeps. I'm a long-time radio drama fan and was in a theater group that performed OTR scripts similar to how Ghoulish Delights does, so I was pleased to discover this podcast. My hometown is River Falls, and I regularly visit there, and while I haven't seen one of your live shows yet, I have seen Tim's performances of The Rats in the Walls and The Curse of Yig at the Minnesota Fringe Festival. I wish to offer some suggestions for you to consider for future episodes. And from Christian's list of really great suggestions, I chose a story that was completely new to me, Bloodbath from Escape. Escape was an anthology series designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure, featuring stories focused on intense life-or-death situations. The series debuted on CBS July 7, 1947, and ran until September 25, 1954. Due to erratic scheduling by CBS, Escape had difficulty attracting a long-term commercial sponsor. The only significant period of sponsorship was a four-month stint by the Richfield Oil Corporation. Despite these challenges, Escape consistently produced some of the best drama on the air. Bloodbath was written by James Poe, a regular scriptwriter for both Escape and Suspense. Poe was known for his adaptations, including Escape's most famous story, Three Skeleton Key, as well as original stories like the one you're about to hear. Poe won an Academy Award for his work on the script for Around the World in 80 Days and was nominated three more times for Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Lilies of the Field, and They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Bloodbath is the third story by James Poe to feature Vincent Price in the lead role. Price appeared in the March 17, 1950 production of Three Skeleton Key, just a few months before Bloodbath aired. In addition to performing Three Skeleton Key twice on suspense, Price appeared in a third script by James Poe, Rave Notice, also for suspense. And now, let's listen to Bloodbath from Escape, originally broadcast June 30, 1950. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Escape, brought to you by your Richfield gasoline dealer and the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York. Marketers of Richfield gasoline with Xylene, Rich Lube, all-weather motor oil, and other famous petroleum products. Look for the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Tonight, 
we escape to the jungles of South America and a seething tale of terror and violence as told by James Poe in Bloodbath, starring Mr. Vincent Price. By portaging the rapids and walking the mules in the shallower stretches, we'd managed to get our supplies and equipment more than 1,700 miles up the river. After this, further navigable passage being impossible, we'd traveled by foot, hacking our way through the thick, steaming jungle, coaxing and goading the heavily laden beasts. We'd left the jungle and begun the climb. Eleven days later, high in the Andes, we found our objective... We set to work, hard work. And then, on a hazy afternoon in late May, we found it. We shall never forget the scene. Below us, the mountains swung down to the jungle which stretched eastward, far as the eye could see. The peaks above us had cut off the setting sun, and the light had a curious violet quality. The dank, chill wind whispering and gusting set the sparse timber scrubs to trembling and shuddering, and the mules, disdainful of their five strange masters, foraged the cacti and dwarf pines. The instruments were set up and the specimens were at hand, and now, crouched and tense, we leaned forward. How about it, Hess? Wait. The tube's got to warm up. Come on, come on. Wait, will you? I've waited five years for this moment. Five? Five hundred, you mean? Five million? Come on, Hessie. How about it, Hess? Mm-hmm. Okay. Give him the sample, O'Brien. Yeah, here. Come on, baby. Shut up, will you? Here goes. Switch on. Holy cow. Good. Good. It's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Hattie. What's the word? Yeah, Hattie. Give gentlemen. Gentlemen. Unless this machine is busted... Unless this Geiger counter has forgotten its multiplication table, we have discovered the richest load of uranium ore known to man. I won't go into the details of how we'd come to locate the ore because that's a story in itself. Suffice it to say that late in the afternoon of that hazy May day, the five of us, gamblers all, came to the end of our rainbow, found our pot of gold. The vein runs all the way up the side of the mountain. Must be worth a million bucks. A million, a billion. A trillion bucks. <laughs> do you boys realize what we've got here? Sure we do. We've got the world at our feet. By the man who gets the strike registered in his name can be a king. Every country in the world is going to come running up to him with trunks full of money and power. <laughs> you tell him, Hesley. Power? Yeah, we'll make the United States the most powerful nation on earth. Why the United States? Oh, you wouldn't sell to anybody else, would you? <laughs> I'm a businessman, Harris. You're a fool. No, no. I'm a businessman. A trillion. <laughs> oh, gents, we've got the world at our feet. Split five ways. The world at our feet. Split five ways. That night, as I lay huddled under my thin blanket, I wondered what it would be like being a wealthy man. Wondered if it were really true. 
wondered how it would affect the others, how it would affect me. In the morning, we were to set off on the long return journey down to the jungle and through the jungle to the launch and down the river to civilization. There, we'd register our claim, purchase, if need be, the land, lease it perhaps from the government. <laughs> oh, millionaires, world at our feet. Uranium, enough to blow up the whole universe. Wake up. Uh, what's, what's wake up, time? Harris. Wake up. Oh, good morning, millionaire. Please, wake up. Uh, the sun's uh, coming up. Hey, uh, hey, where are the others? They're gone. Gone? gone? Yes, Dumont and O'Brien. They took the mules and most of the food and cut out. When? How do I know when? Sometime during the night. But why? Why? A trillion bucks, that's why. Oh, no, no, no. Once they get down to the jungle, they'll have to travel on foot. There's ten days' march to the river. If they beat us to the boat, we're stuck with 1,500 miles of jungle between us and safety. Fifteen? Impossible. We'd never make a hundred. That's right. We've got to catch him, or we're dead. We traveled as lightly as possible. It was a risky business, doubly so, because O'Brien and Dumont had taken our guns with them. The only weapons we had between us were one long machete and two pocket knives. These would be of little protection against jaguars, bushmasters, tapirs, bow constrictors, and the rest of it. Fortunately, they'd left our number one necessity to survival... They'd forgotten to take our quinine. This and our food was all we carried. The long descent to the jungle was slow going on foot. It was here that we nearly gave up hope. We moved as fast as we could, but we were no match for men who were riding. But we reached the jungle. Then things took a better turn. Here, the thick vines and heavy undergrowth was, we knew, almost an impossible hazard for a riding man. And we could see their boot prints mingled with those of the mules. We knew that they were having trouble, too. The animals were afraid of many things in the jungle. Would walk suddenly require careful handling. We pushed ahead as rapidly as possible, battling mosquitoes, pume flies, matukas, and the blood-sucking carpato ticks and... Of course, the jungle itself, with its never-ending barrage of razor grasses, needle vines, swamps, bog traps, and so forth, was hot, stinking hot, and the going was hard, but we had to make it. We couldn't travel at night. They'd taken our flashlights. We'd bundle up as best we could, protecting ourselves, not from the cold. It was hot and muggy, even at dawn, but from the mosquitoes. And as we progressed towards the river area, from the bat, vampire bat. Ever seen them? <laughs> They're small, rather fragile-looking little things. By day, they hang heads down from the trees, wings folded like, like clusters of rotten fruit. By night, they hunt. They have razor sharp teeth, bite like the finest steel scalpels. Their object is to break the skin very delicately, start the blood to coming, and then they simply hang on and sip. Without mosquito netting, we had a rough time of it, a sleepless time. But we managed to keep on going. And on the third day. Uh, it's no use, fellas. We can't make it to the river before them. But that's too easy. We've got to make it right, Wayne. Even if we do catch up, they got the guns. Uh, 
Free thumbs and fly, fly. What did you hear? Gunfire, yeah. Come on. They can't be more than a mile or two ahead. Come on. We ran through the jungle, following the fresh marks of the animals and the two men. And a half an hour or so later, we broke into a little clearing, and there was Dumas. Dumas. He's dead. Shot in the back. <laughs> Good old, sweet guy, that old here. Come on. Let's turn him over. He's really been sweating, huh? Yeah, it's malaria. See his face? Good old Obi. And Dumont came down with malaria, probably started to slow him down. Sweet guy, that Obi. Come on. Come on, let's go. Hey, they should have remembered the quinine. I got no sympathy for Dumont. You know, you know what would be nice? What? If that, if that Obi should get malaria now. Yeah. He'd be helpless. He'd ask me for quinine. I'd throw him a stone. On we went. Now there were no boot marks with the mule tracks. Apparently, O'Brien was riding one of the animals. From time to time, we'd see a flurry of tracks turned up as though he had had to dismount to tug one of the beasts back onto the trail. We followed the tracks for another two days, and then on the sixth day, we found one of the mules. How you feeling, boy? Huh? Where's your saddle? He really looks big. Look at those marks on his flanks. Vampire bat. Yeah. That leaves O'Brien on foot. Yeah. Hey, you hear that? It's the launch. Where did the river? He's starting the motor. Come on! Yeah. It wasn't very far, just a few hundred yards. And the path was strewn with O'Brien's discarded supplies. Quite suddenly, we came out of the jungle and onto a narrow white sandbar. The river. And there, not 30 feet away from us, just drifting off into the deep, dark, fast-moving waters. But O'Brien and the launch... O'Brien! Please, <laughs> Look at him. He's like a skeleton. The launch lurched dizzily as it floated downstream. O'Brien was feeble, sweating, possessed. He had the fever, had it bad. Come on, let's go after you him. You can't. This is piranha water. Animal fish, I'll eat you. Yeah. Hey, Obi! Hey, you know me, Obi! Your old pal, Hesse! Hey, what do you say, Obi? Huh? Yeah. Huh? He staggered dizzily about the cockpit, trying to start hey, the engine. Now, he was laughing, and he was so weak that he could barely spin the flywheel to the kicker. Obi! He's the... Good Lord, he's in the water. The fish, the piranhas. They got him, they got him. Hey, look at this. One moment we saw him swimming weakly, his large, fever-ridden eyes turned imploringly toward us, and the next moment he was gone, leaving only a large red churning patch on the water. The piranhas are small, rarely more than 12 or 14 inches long, small fish with large, powerful jaws, teeth like broken glass, and an insatiable, maniacal appetite for flesh. The launch, caught by the deep, fast-moving waters, rocked softly this way and that and moved on downstream, away, away around a bend and out of The march of science over the years has produced better-than-ever gasoline for your car. But now science adds one of the greatest gasoline components of all. It's called xylene. 
Xylene, a super gasoline component, adds two great qualities to gasoline. Xylene gives higher than ever Antidoc performance. Xylene means power. Today, every gallon of Richfield gasoline contains xylene. If you want a motor that runs quiet as a whisper, if you want pickup and power to spare, try Richfield gasoline with xylene. Your Richfield dealer offers a choice of two great Richfield gasolines with xylene. Richfield high-octane at regular price for the average motor. Or Richfield ethyl. Ethyl at its best for tip-top results in the highest compression motors. Drive in where you see the Richfield Eagle and the cream and blue pumps. Get Richfield gasoline with xylene. Xylene, one of the highest Antonoc components in gasoline history. And now we return you to... Escape, starring Vincent Price. We picked over the supplies O'Brien had left on the shore. There wasn't much we wanted... A gun without ammunition, a few tins of food, a tent and some bedding, cooking equipment, a coil of rope. We loaded these things onto the mule and set off through the jungle, downstream along the river's course. Fifteen hundred miles to civilization. And we had it tough. The jungle was thick along the river's bank, and we made little progress. Not more than five miles that day, but the next day, we rounded a bend, keeping close to the shore, and there, about a quarter mile below us, and nuzzling the opposite shore, grounded on the sand, lay the launch. Looks shallow enough here. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, but what about the fish? How deep does it look to you, Harris, at the deepest spot on me? Oh, I don't know, maybe two and a half feet, maybe three. Most of it's less than that. I got an idea. Shoot. We've got to get across the launch, see? Yeah. So here's what we do. We throw away everything. There'll be food and water in the launch, see? Yeah. Now, you see that little patch of sand in the middle of the river where the bar shows? Yeah. We go that way. That's bound to be the shallowest way, see? How do we go? On the mule, the three of us. Ah, you nuts. This mule ain't in such bad condition it can't get the three of us across 70 feet of shallow water. What do you say, Harris? Why not? All right. I'll get aboard first. Come on. Get farther up, Winsy. You're the lightest. Yeah. Harris, you get on next, sir. Hang on to Weensy. Here, here. Carry this coil of rope around your neck. We may need it. I've got the machete strapped to my back. You set, Weems? Yeah. Uh, Now hold tight to me, Hess. Don't worry. If I go, you go too. And if he goes, I go. So let's hang on, gents. Let's really hang on. As long as he's moving fast, he can't get at his legs. Isn't that right? He's not showing anything to him but hoops and hair. Hold his head up, Weems. Don't let him look down. Uh, All set? Yeah, all set. All right, here we go. Get off. Come on, come on. Jolt that'll kill a jaguar. Like a jaws like a vice. So, here we are, gentlemen. Stuck. 
Just 30 feet of water between us and the shore. Get across it, and we can get to the launch and the civilization and all the rest. Oh, the three of us are too much for that mule. Uh, only 30 feet. Why, you could run it in seconds. You see those little shadows around us in the water? I see those little shadows around us. You don't have to draw pictures. Hey, uh, oh, here's another bright idea coming up. As a matter of fact, yeah. Yeah, hold on to your hat, Harris. We got that curler rope. Yeah. The mule could carry one of us. That mule's not in such bad shape, you know. Yeah. Tie the rope over his bridle. Then one of us pulls him over with him fast. You see, one rides, and then the other two pull him back. Yeah. Yeah. And the next one gets on. Yeah. What do you say? Oh, I can't stay here. It's unnatural. Who uh, goes first? Me, on account I'm the lightest. I won't tire him so much. How about it, Harris? All right. Well, get going then. Okay. Tie that rope to his bridle. I'm doing it. All right, give me the machete. What do you want the machete for? I want it, that's all. Give me. Okay. All right, now you two get at the end of the spit. Because when you pay out the line, you don't get it caught in his legs. Well, you think of everything. That's right, I'm a smart boy. Ready with the line. You sure it's tied fast to the bridle? I'm sure. No funny business, Weems. All we got to do is jerk this rope once while you're over that water and you're done for. You're a sharp article. <laughs> That's right, but not sharp enough. Hey, Weems, you cut the rope. Come on, suckers. The rope. Our only salvation was cut. And now Weems, grinning and riding, was out into the stream, heading for the shore and safe. He went not 15 feet when one of the long, dark, wriggling shapes made for the mule and got his leg. The mule reared up on his hind legs, the eel clinging to his foot, pumping paralyzing shocks into him. Weems clutched his neck with one hand and slapped him on the flank with the flat of the machete with the other. The mule came down and more eels went for his legs. He began to lurch sideways. Weems swung the long steel blade in an arc, barely missing the mule's leg, and connected with one of the eels. And on end. His other arm released the mule's neck. The arm holding the blade was extended stiffly, still caught in the thick, muscular back of the electric eel. And then the mule reared again, and Weems fell back into the water. The mule, freed of Weems, made the shore and vanished into the jungle. We turned away. No man could watch what was happening to Weems and retain his sanity. And so, there we were, half an eye on that sand spit which the river was slowly washing away. Night coming, the vampire bats coming, and all about us, the electric eels and the little cannibal fish waiting. There was no moon. There were evil stars, red and yellow. There was a black sky and against it blacker shapes, the vampire bats. We waved our arms and kept them off, but again and again during that long and terrible night, they brushed against us, squealing and squeaking, trying to get it. Dark, evil, thirsting bats. A thousand years later came the dawn. That water's taken a lot of sand away. This thing isn't much bigger than a card table. Mm. Look at them. Look at those fish. You'd think they had enough to eat yesterday. Mm. Mm. Listen, Harris. No matter what happens now, at least you and I have played it square, right? Yeah, that's right. Shake my hand, Harris. All right. Because... 
I think I got an idea on how we can get out of here. What? Yeah. Look up there. Yeah. See? See that vine hanging down from the big tree? It's over the water, and it must be 15 feet up. Yeah, yeah, but if you were on it, you could do a tars into the shore. The roof? That's right. Now, if we can just lasso the end of that and pull tight, we'll have enough swing to make it across. Swing like a pendulum, if you follow me. One guy gets on the other's shoulders to swing over to get the start, see? Then when he gets to shore, he fastens a rock and swings the rope back to the other. Uh, that vine will hold. It'll work. It took us two hours before we managed to lasso the end of that vine. And then we tested it again and again until we were positive it would hold a man's weight. And then we were ready. Uh, stand good and steady now, pal. I'm going to go easy on you, but don't shake. Because if you spill me in that water, I'm a gone guy. I'm ready. I'm ready. Good luck. Here. I felt his feet leave my shoulders, and then he was off, skimming the water with his feet drawn up, and then, miraculously, he was on the shore. Good boy! Good boy! Yeah! Like a breeze, huh? Like a breeze. Hey, uh, any rocks around there? Sorry. Smiled at me and shrugged and then looked down the stream at the launch. I knew that smile, that trillion-dollar smile. It said, so long, sucker. Don't do it, Hess. Send me the rope. <laughs> You're too nice a guy, Harris. You and I would never get along. You you can have it all, Hess. Every scrap of it. Only for the love of mercy, send me the rope. Oh, no, you got some. You wouldn't approve of what I mean to do with it. Hess! <laughs> he stood there laughing at me and shaking his head slowly. But uh, above him, just over his head, was another vine, thick and mottled, and it was moving. Look out, Hess! Hess! <laughs> he didn't understand or didn't hear me. Just stood there, smiling and shaking his head. The boa constrictor dropped heavily and accurately, a thrashing tangle of scaly muscles. His body was hidden by the low, scrubby vines and palmettos. Several hours later, I saw the boa, now gorged, slither lumpily away. I waited, and I waited. From time to time, I thought of stepping out into the stream. It would be over very quickly, I told myself, very quickly. I couldn't. And then I noticed an odd thing. The current which had been sweeping the sand away had shifted slightly. A whim, a miracle. And now new sand from some sunken bar was beginning to pile up between me and the shore, grain by grain, rib by rib. I watched it. And I watched. And I watched. And it Five o'clock that afternoon, I walked to shore to the lock and didn't even get my feet wet. It's nice where I live. 
quiet little streets, nice people, nice kids, nice country, peaceful, nice teeth. I know where there's enough uranium to blow it all to hell. Want it? Just go up the river. Up the river, it's, uh, it's for the taking. As Dumont and Obi and Weems and Hess. A trillion bucks worth. Enough to give the whole world a bloodbath. Yourself included. Warm summer weather makes you think of baseball games, picnics, and holiday driving. But be sure your car's ready when you are. Get Richfield All Point Safety Service. The service that puts your car in top shape for warm weather driving. With Richfield All Point Safety Service, you get a careful All Point lubrication job that protects the chassis, transmission, and differential. You get lubricants that stick to your car's ribs no matter what the temperature. You get the protection of Rich Lube All Weather Motor Oil, the Pennsylvania premium grade oil that cleans as it lubricates. You also get a safety check of batteries, spark plugs, tires, and radiators. And expert service if your car has automatic transmission. The Richfield gasoline dealer is specially trained to protect your car against wear and breakdown. So get Richfield All Point Safety Service tomorrow. Look for the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight starred Mr. Vincent Price. Bloodbath was written by James Poe. Others in the cast were Wally Mayer, Ted DeCorsia, Paul Fries, and Tony Barrett. Special music arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week. You are groping your way slowly through the dark hold of a ship at sea. Moving carefully, step by step. Dreading to find what you know is there. Death in the form of a deadly Bushmaster from which there is no escape. Next week at this time, the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York invites you to escape to the Caribbean and a grim voyage of impending death as Martin Storm tells it in his exciting tale, A Shipment of Mute Fate. Goodbye then until the same time next week when once again we offer you Escape. Tom Hanlon speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was Bloodbath from Escape here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was a listener request coming to us from Christian, who had pointed out in his email to us that he had seen uh, Tim's uh, performances at the Fringe Festival from his company, Ghoulish Delights, which is also the producer of this podcast and our uh, live shows. Yay, uh, thank you I, for coming to the shows. And Yay. I just wanted to say uh, that Rats in the Walls and the Curse of Yig uh, that I also saw were phenomenal. Aww. Yeah, Christian was very careful to say he saw them, but not, <laughs> not say anything about their quality. I saw the first half of both of these shows. <laughs> There's no way that I'm not going to do a plug. There's no way. Because Tim has also adapted a short story for Ghoulish Delights of the uh, Screaming Skull. Yeah. And that'll be at the Fringe Festival this year. And that will be starring me. That's right. <laughs> so go to the Fringe Festival, see Tim's Screaming Skull. Come yep. up from River Falls, Christian. <laughs> see another one. 
Uh, the year is go. 2018. Right. Okay, so <laughs> just in case these last... has discovered this 20 years later on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Traveling across the nuclear wasteland to what was once Minneapolis. <laughs> I am here for the screaming skull. <laughs> He's fighting mutants and <laughs> <laughs> but he's gonna see that show because that's scarier than what's going on uh so this was a, a listener request and you grabbed this one out of the list of yeah. listener requests why did you grab this joshua well i'm a huge fan of escape and i realized i never heard this one at all and it has vincent price in it and just so many animals <laughs> this could be like a, a 1990s episode of Boxes when animals attack. Do you remember that show? That made yes. me think of. I forgot about that show. That, that ranks up there with that's incredible yes. of shows that I've forgotten about. Animals deliver karma. <laughs> I was waiting for the velociraptors to show up. The the carnage is impressive. Yep. I, I think you love it. You're right though. When you you write these words down, escape, Vincent Price. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, South American jungle. I am so in. Yeah, yeah. that was exactly my <laughs> Vincent Price in a show called Bloodbath, and there's five guys who just got a lot of money, and all they can do is escape the jungle. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> I don't care what happens. <laughs> We're not even listening to it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Escape wrote some great stuff, as you talked about in the intro, and, and this being one of them. I, I have a couple of small little qualms with it. And I've said this before. Sometimes I just get bugged by Vincent Price. I know. That look. Gosh, I wish we were filming this so everybody could see Joshua just <laughs> look at me and shake his head. But Vincent Price. Just shaking his head and shaking his head. <laughs> and then a boa constrictor descends on him. <laughs> but I, I have my moments where I'm like, oh, gosh, that's, you know, so much Vincent Price. And I can, can't take it anymore. Did this you was, have a bad, like, incident involving Vincent Price? Yeah. I mean, most of his movies. A, oh. It's Vincent Shaking Price. It's Vincent Price for no, three I, hours. I have not seen a lot of his classic horror movies, I'll be honest. I know him mainly from his radio work, and that's where my Vincent Price fandom comes from. Right. That and Thriller. <laughs> right. Um, this, though, he doesn't just be Vincent Price. He sounds like an actor being somebody else, you know what I mean? And that affectation of his voice, that very distinct voice, isn't as... Obvious, I guess is the right word. He doesn't sound like Vincent Price the whole time. He is not trying to feed into the personality that people right. hire him. Yeah, right, right. Fair. He's not being Vincent Price as much. And so well, I was able to listen to the story and forget that Vincent Price was in it. And we've talked about that before. Very distinct voices can take away from listening to the story where you keep going, oh, that's Peter Lorre. Oh, that's Vincent Price. Oh, that's uh, Boris Karloff. Thinking that's Cookie of- Monster. <laughs> right. If Cookie Monster was in an old-time radio show, we wouldn't follow the story. We'd be picturing the Cookie Monster, even if he was he a phenomenon. That's good enough for me. <laughs> even if Cookie Monster was a phenomenal actor, we would never if. give him... <laughs> now Tim's shaking his head in there. Oh. <laughs> He was fine. <laughs> fine. He was no Ernie. His later movies, he became kind of a parody of himself. <laughs> I will say, uh, though, that uh, I really did enjoy all of this. And 
you know, everything with me started, you know, not only with CBS Radio Mystery Theater, but really connected at a young age with Star Trek and then Indiana Jones. So when you start throwing people into jungles in the 40s <laughs> and, and on looking for lost artifacts or uranium ore or the Middle East back when that was a romantic notion, you know, it exotic was. Exotic other places. Yes, exotic yeah. other places. Yeah. I am immediately in. I was so in when this started in the jungle. And I was like, yeah, yeah. go. But despite the fact that we were all in from the top just based on the description one of the things that i think is really brilliant about this story is that they start with this discovery of the uranium Mm -hmm. just immediately and we know nothing about them we just know its value trillion trillions of dollars (laughs) so they make this amazing discovery and the listener realizes along with the characters that this discovery puts them all in a dangerous and precarious situation because we as a listener don't know who these guys are. Mm -hmm. And then it's very clear from their conversations immediately after that they're not really sure about each other. And they immediately, (laughs) the cracks start to show when they're having the conversation. But we're going to make the United States the most powerful nation on earth. And the one other guy's like, why the United States? (laughs) I'm going to go to the (laughs) biggest bidder. bidder, Highest bidder, yeah. They even acknowledge the fact that another way of telling the story would have been to start with them coming together, yeah. how they found the mm-hmm. uranium, and then the narrator just says, but that's another story. <laughs> right. We're going to start at the most exciting part of this story and see all the consequences for right. 30 minutes. And I, I just thought that was great because we yeah. were just immediately whisked away into this story. Yeah, it starts fast and kept moving. And they also do a great job of building tension and grounding mm-hmm. you in there just with details. They forgot the tonic water. Yeah. Or perhaps the quinine, rather. Yeah, quinine, no yeah. gin and tonics for these Sorry, guys. I just equate quinine <laughs> with gin. and so <laughs> Tim's a drunk, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but I don't have malaria. <laughs> Not that you know of. <laughs> How long it did take for us to discover what they were looking for, I liked. It, you know, it was five minutes or so before they went yeah. uranium ore. The, the description of... The 1,700-mile trip or whatever it was, and then up at the side of a mountain. And then they're all, do the test, do the test. That created the tension of, what is it? What are they looking for? What are they going to find? Please be Ark of the Covenant. Please be Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> and they went to Uranium Owner. I said, good enough. I don't care anymore. Uh, but, but that was really topical. This is from 1950. Yeah. There was a huge craze where they sold Geiger counters. Mm-hmm. And it's post-World War II in the, the start of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. And people were out looking for uranium mines and mm-hmm. these dreams of striking it rich like another gold rush. We've done a number of stories here on this podcast. Here's a bunch of money. Or here's a bunch of success, and how soon until they turn on each other, and who are they going to trust? And is I that true? We've said, and it's been pretty clear, we will turn each other yeah, in I'll, a heartbeat. In this podcast, oh yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. the three of us. Well. You drop a suitcase of money in between us, I will snap both your necks. <laughs> I might like a small package of quarters. <laughs> a sock full of quarters, and I'm done. And then there's the other idea of. Walking into the jungle like that, and obviously they didn't know anything about the jungle. (laughs) Not one thing. Well, I mean, I think a testament to the quality of the writing, direction, and performance in this is that, as we're saying, we go into this knowing exactly what's going to happen. The suspense isn't, ooh, are they going to turn on each other? It's when and how viciously are they going to turn on each other? (laughs) And I think in lesser hands, it would be dull because we know what beats they're going to hit. It becomes less about who can you trust and more about I can't trust any of these guys. So it actually becomes a surprise 
at the end when you can finally trust I think his name's Harris is Vincent Price, the yes. narrator character. Yes. That he makes an actual decent human choice after experiencing all this. And I was curious if people would find that ending anticlimactic. Let's talk about that ending. It's a testament to how much I enjoyed it that and probably in any other story, if the ending was I don't don't know if this is exactly what you're talking about, that sand just miraculously appeared and let me walk out of this terrible situation. I would throw my notebook to the ground and walk away. <laughs> Assuming you took notes, which yes, you didn't. I never don't did. lie to the listeners. <laughs> I try to think, what would I have when I'm listening to this? I, to my, my gin and tonic, I would throw <laughs> to the ground. Malaria be damned. <laughs> but I was so invested by that point, I just heard this sand gathering. Oh, thank heavens, there's sand gathering. Right. That's exactly what I was talking about. I have a slightly different take on it, but I want to hear Eric's. Well, that end part of the end, I didn't mind. Whether it be a ridiculous happenstance or perhaps divine intervention, Deus Ex Machina, here comes the sand and he gets out. What I didn't understand, so he went home and did he leave all of that? Did he not make his claim to the uranium ore? No, he did not. But why? (laughs) He tells you why. No, that's what I didn't hear. Where where did he say? Because He says he's happy. I think he he also had seen the true face of humanity and did not want to give them a lot of uranium. Mm. I just made a Frankenstein noise. (laughs) (laughs) He specifically says, I know where there's enough uranium to blow it all to hell, this nice, peaceful world that he describes living in now, and says, do you want it? It's just up the river, a trillion bucks worth, enough to give the whole world a bloodbath, yourself included. He makes this moral choice. A moral choice to not expose the world to that i get it now thank you i was just wondering why but there you go sure it seems like god gave him a sandbar and you should probably take a trillion dollars but you know (laughs) whatever one of the things i love about the sandbar is that we have spent 26 minutes of nature being depicted at its most brutal survival of the fittest and i think it's a nice flip when nature is shown thematically at least to have some morality then the one guy who didn't turn is given this exit it's also in contrast to eels and piranhas and boa constrictors eating everybody that he just sits there and watches the way it's described like one grain at a time as this little bridge is built and it has Mm -hmm. this almost zen peaceful quality to the way it's described has a moses quality to it yeah yeah (laughs) you're right the parting of the piranha sea i didn't know eels were that vicious I didn't know that eels attacked. Do I don't they? want to know the truth about eels. <laughs> I, I didn't. You think... can't handle the truth about eels. <laughs> I just want to know them as the things in the water that electrocute you. And they... But they will they even do that? Uh, did he not hit it with his knife and get electrocuted? Is that's that... how I took it. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's okay. awesome. <laughs> that is, but I don't think that's fact. I don't think they're that full of electricity, well, are Eric, they? Eric, you go out and test that and get back to sure. us. Sure. <laughs> I will. Uh, if anyone out there knows the truth, please just post a comment that it's 100% true what happened. <laughs> I just have never heard stories of eels uh, jumping out of the water and attacking mules. <laughs> I didn't know that could happen. I was on board with the piranha. The eels thing, you know, I don't know. It's too much. It's too, too much. Back off. <laughs> Come on. This uh, story has the great, great structure of keeping safety or escape the title mm-hmm. just like always just at your fingertips yeah uh, and it's just always like a balloon bouncing off of your fingertips like you just can't quite grab it and for 20 minutes you just feel there the whole time and it's 
when the boat drifts away passengerless oh, yeah and it it has a lot of narration too and it's just the strength of the writing and the strength of the atmosphere and sound effects i think really carries it it has more on the page narration than i would usually like in a story uh-huh. but it totally dragged me along as long as we're heading down the path of that let me throw my qualms my in. qualms let me in. throw in my eel it's a okay. little right that sounds gross sorry <laughs> don't do that <laughs> a little too narrate and, and you just said it and I, I think that they missed some opportunities to stop describing and to put us into it live mm-hmm. um which missed opportunities, I thought, for some really cool foley. We got, in about 30 seconds, the entire journey through the jungle. You could have given me a minute of hacking the brush, talking as they walked through the jungle, climbing. You know what I mean? We could have added a little more to take away how much describing was going on and show us instead Mm -hmm. of describing. And I thought it was a little heavy on narration. The other qualm I had, and this isn't even a qualm, this is an absolute complaint, that was way too much organ. It was so organy. There was so much organ. Like I get it. We, yeah, we got to like, have yeah. some music, but that inner sanctum so- called. They want their organ back. <laughs> Nerd. So much music. Like, you know, and it's that organ. So after a while, it's like it's churchy. You know, it's a church organ yeah. thing, or you know, Procol Harum is doing a gig. <laughs> Uh, I think those are both legitimate. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, My feeling is that I was impressed by the fact that they had that much narration and still kept this real sense of forward momentum, and it didn't ever feel like it slipped into, like, audiobook territory. Yeah, I I give a lot of credit to Vincent Price there for Mm -hmm. being really good with the language and putting a lot of life into that narration. It's a great way to put it, Joshua. Um, One of my notes was this is dangerously close to being an audiobook, but it never did make me go, I give up or anything. I I was engaged the entire time. It did move forward constantly, uh, despite that. That. And I wonder if you redid it with a little less of that, just maybe it would be too exciting. Maybe it'd be <laughs> too much. I did want someone to die from a vampire bat after you took so much time to describe what they do <laughs> and how, because that was a great visual description of the vampire bat. Shoot up the mule pretty bad. I mean, yeah, yeah. I just, one of the guys, I wanted them to be like, ah, I'm just, they're, they're sipping my blood off my back for the last <laughs> four miles. Yet you question how eels work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think vampire bats work that way either. Uh, I think the vampire bat description is there to help you feel their agony at Mm -hmm. night when they have to, in this Mm -hmm. humid heat, bundle up, wrap (laughs) themselves in blankets. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think they say blankets, but they say bundle up, so that's what I think of um, to keep the mosquitoes off them and the vampire bats bats that they're shooing what away. Was the, like a I thousand feel like years... my cats are annoying. Mm-hmm. Let alone right, <laughs> shoo right. off vampire bats. He's saying night. a thousand years later the sun rose. Oh yeah. And so you felt yeah. that heat. I think one of the things about the eel. narration that does work is it was extremely well written. It was and very, it, very descriptive and uh, nice to listen to. So I think that helps a lot. Say Vincent Price did a good job. <laughs> say it. I did earlier. I said, <laughs> say it now. again. <laughs> Vincent Price did a good job. <laughs> okay, now loop it. <laughs> well, that'll be edited in. I'll loop that. Uh, here's uh, my favorite moment, though, is the mule made it. No, I had that highlighted too for once. Like the mule made it and right. just went wandering off in the woods. It was like, see you, suckers. <laughs> right. Well, the mule is the one that took the claim. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a trillionaire mule living somewhere. <laughs> then he became a kicker for a football team. <laughs> Any other thoughts and notes, gentlemen? I want to make a nature video out of this that just like lifts the various Vincent Price descriptions of these <laughs> awful animal attacks. Like okay. a mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom. <laughs> Except with these animals with Vincent Price narrating. <laughs> awesome. That's when the vampire bats. That's my Vincent Price right yeah. there. That was terrible. It didn't sound like Well, at, at least all. you said that's Vincent Price, which helped. But that's, <laughs> that's the key to doing impressions. impressions. You name who you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then you're good. <laughs> See Rich Little. <laughs> all right. Let's... Uh, you got something? I was just going to uh, start my voting because yeah. no shock to anyone. This is a classic. I love this. Yeah. yeah. I will definitely say it stands the test of time. And wow, you're using one of your classic tags on it, huh? I will. Do we have a limited quantity of classic six. tags? This Whoa, no. It's great. Thanks. <laughs> it's six. Um, it's going to be a bummer when we get to episode 2000. <laughs> what if? Uh, so, you know, I think it definitely stands the test of time and... Yeah, I can't find any reason not to call it a classic. Yeah, Christian in his email uh, included this in a list of what he considered minor classics. I would call it major classic. Nice. (laughs) I thoroughly enjoyed it, and thank you so much, Christian, for uh, bringing it to our attention. Yeah, I'd never heard of it. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Christian. Tim? Hey, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. You'll find other episodes of this podcast there. You'll also find uh, ways to contact us, uh, either just a contact page at the website. You can get a hold of us through Facebook or Instagram. You can also find a page of Friends of the Society where it's uh, links to other pages, um, things like 12 Chimes It's Midnight, uh, The Wall Breakers, Kid Monster Radio, people who have just been really sweet to us and they have similar interests. And so we want to give them a little shout out as well. You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. Uh, you can become a member of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. Uh, we have a lot of fun rewards, including a uh, listener-only podcast, The Secrets of the Mysterious Old Radio. You can also go to iTunes and write a review for us. We ask so much of you, but <laughs> <laughs> I think you can do it. Write a review. We love it. Tell us the truth about eels. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next, another, as we continue this summer, uh, hammering out our listener requests and getting caught up. Another listener request this time. We're going to do one from Bart, and he wants an episode of Suspense called A World of Darkness. Until then... Vincent Price did a good job. Vincent Price did a good job. Vincent Price did a good job. A miracle.